This is a download for a Nancy Lehman Church. Every Thursday morning at 7.30am in the Nancy Lehman Church building. At the time, it's in the Kevin Alliance of Burnley. Contact us to find out more information about us. Please visit our website at Okay, so sermon today, I've uh, entitled it, It's Time to Get Angry, and um, I'm going to unpack that as I go through, but I've got a little list to read to you, okay? And I want you to see whether you can find the common theme. Resealable stickers on chocolate bags. You know those chocolate bags you get that you have to share? Resealable stickers on chocolate bags. Road diversions when you're in a hurry. Okay? Road diversions when you're in a hurry. Inconsiderate behaviour on the beach when one is trying to get the sand out of their towel. (laughs) Wasps. The onslaught of wasps when you're just about to have that alfresco dining experience. And lo and behold, along comes a wasp. Now, I could go on. I could keep going on. Any common theme there? Any ideas? Cinema. Cinema. Oh, yes, absolutely. Right, okay. You know that at the Mallard you can go in and you can get one of those boxes to sit on. I saw those the other day that if you've got someone, you can get a box to sit on. I think I need one of those. (laughs) Yes, tall people in cinemas. Things, basically, that annoy me, or as Marilyn said to me, things that get your goat, you know? (laughs) If those things that just get under your skin that are a bit irritating, I could have a much longer list, but those are some of my things. Like, I don't understand resealable stickers on the chocolate bags. Who reseals their chocolate bag? (laughs) Do people do that? (laughs) I don't. (laughs) Um, Things that get under my skin. And I'm sure we've all got things that just annoy us a little bit, that agitate us, that get us irritated, yeah? That we might have a few choice words if it be that way. Turn to the person next to you. Okay? Tell them that one thing that just really winds you up, that you get annoyed about. I'm sure you've got loads. Choose one. Off you go. Simon, can I ask you something? Have you, all got, have you all been able to share your little annoyances, those things that agitate you? Okay, well, I've um, asked three willing volunteers to come today and be part of um, my Room 101. Um, I don't know how many people watch Room 101 on TV. Hands up, have you seen it on telly? Okay. If you haven't seen it on TV, basically, the show is, is just a show about annoyances and having a bit of a rant. 
and you have three people on the panel and they all put forward what it is that really annoys them and then the TV presenter, who's Frank Skinner, um, he then has to choose which one he puts in room 101, which one is the really most annoying one. Okay, so these guys, I've asked them to put forward their case for that thing that really annoys them, that they have a grievance about. And we're going to start, Simon, with you. And I want you to share your personal, other than the cinema, things that annoy you. Yep. Okay. One thing that comes to mind is gadgets. And one of the gadgets that really got to me a few years ago was an electric fork. It was purchased for me as a birthday gift, and it looked great. But the only problem was it had one speed. <laughs> it's true. It's true. So I tried to use it with spaghetti bolognese. <laughs> Hence to say that um, it didn't stay on the plate for long, and it didn't go anywhere near my gob. <laughs> so for me, that was a real pointless gadget. Okay. Yeah. I've also got up there cracker toys because you were talking about cracker toys, weren't you? Yeah. Yeah. Nothing against Christmas. Good. The crackers, <laughs> they, they really are crackers if you think about it because you either get the really cheap ones or you get the really expensive ones. Now, I know some guys in here like the, like the really top of the range. But if you're like me, you like the cheap ones because really it's just a hat, really, isn't it? When you open it, it's just a hat that you wear. But it's what comes inside them. Hmm. Yeah? yeah? And screwdrivers. Anyone ever used a screwdriver end in a cracker? Oh, my word. <laughs> That's your DIY skills then. Right. Okay, we'll get that one over with quickly. Um, and then there's the jokes. Now, I know some people like Christmas cracker jokes, but for me, they're kind of kitsch. Because every time I get one, nobody laughs. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it's the way it comes out. Yeah, that's it. Okay, thank you. So, we've got pointless gadgets, okay? You're going to vote on these in a moment, audience, okay? You're going to um, vote and see which one you think should be thrown into Room 101, which is the most annoying. So, we've got pointless gadgets. Marilyn, over to you. Mine's inconsiderate parkers. I could be a traffic warden. <laughs> I would be hated. Small car park pier on the Crown Pier. There's lines. There's a gap outside the line, a little hatch bit. You need to park between the lines so that everyone can fit in, so that you've got room to manoeuvre to get out. Oh, no. There are cars that park into the space. There are cars that park outside of the white line. You're in, an, you're in a small space. You've got to manoeuvre to get out. So sometimes it's taken me 20 minutes to get my little car, which has been parked perfectly because I'm very considerate, parked perfectly within the lines both ways. And it's taken me 20 minutes to get off the pier, get out of the parking space, not get off the pier. No, not good. And then there are those people who in St. Julian's Avenue or other large spaces where there are no lines and there's room to park three cars 
park one, small one, slap bang in the middle, and get out and walk off. When the person behind them is thinking, shove up a bit, because I can get in there behind you. No, it's not good. (laughs) Not good. Makes me vexed. (laughs) Okay, so bad parking. Good, okay. And then, Mike, finally, over to you. So, mine's phones, but in particular, there's several points. (laughs) We could be here a while. Um, (laughs) Automated answering with the dial one for annoying you slightly, dial two for annoying you more. And to the point where there's several different businesses and that that I have to phone regularly and I know which number I have to press to actually speak to a person. <laughs> and I'll avoid the whole numbers thing and just go, I want to speak to someone. Because I want to speak to someone, I don't want to press buttons and get to the wrong department. And then of course they go, can I put you through to voicemail? No. Because they won't listen to it and they won't call me back. I don't want to speak to voicemail or answer phones. Don't like it. Plus, there's the whole, what do you say to an answer phone? Because do you say, hi, I'm Mike and my number is? Then I think, how fast do I give my number out? Have they got to find a pen? Have they got to write it down? You know? There's all sorts of problems with that. No, I'll speak to a person, please. Good, we see your, your trouble. Right, okay, so we need to um, go back and have a little think which one we want to vote, okay, to put in room 101. Is it going to be pointless gadgets? I, I feel your pain on that. I'm sure our houses are littered with pointless gadgets around the place. Is it going to be bad parking? I've got a confession here, although um, I'd love to say... <laughs> Bad parking is also something that annoys me. However, I must admit I'm probably the world's worst parker. So I think I might be one of those people with my small car that can't get into the lines. Um, And then, or is it going to be, you know, phones and phoning up and getting transferred to all sorts of different voicemails and you have to press 101 different numbers. Okay, so, um, oh, hands up if you want to put pointless gadgets in room 101. So you, didn't do, you didn't do a good enough one. You didn't do a good enough job of saying that. Okay, maybe the bad parking? Oh, my words. Yep, okay. Or phones? Oh, definitely. That is the one that has gone in room one. Well done, Mike. Yours has got in there. Obviously, we get vexed by the phone. Okay, let's give them a round of applause. Thank you, folks. You can come, come down. Thank you. Okay, well done. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Um, we all got things, haven't we, that make us a little bit angry, a little bit agitated, a little bit annoyed. And um, it's really easy these days to show your uh, annoyance, especially in our world of social media, isn't it? Because social media these days... Um, you know, somebody can write something on Facebook or they can write something on wherever and you can show them how you feel about it um, and it, you don't even have to use words. You just have to use a little emoji face that looks a little bit like this. Now, if you're in the Facebook world, you will understand this little emoji is about being angry. Okay, so if you read something on social media and you were a bit angry about it, and it made you cross, you could tap that, and up the face would pop, and that person would be able to see that you were angry about it. Same as if you're happy or if you're sad, you can do the same thing, yeah? Um, Now, there's a bit of a problem with this method of communication, okay, putting little faces, emojis on things. 
I mean, there's the whole wider problem of, you know, where are we as society that we communicate in this way. There's that problem, but I'm not going to go down that route. The other problem is, is that you can accidentally press these things, okay? And then you have no idea at all that you've pressed it and maybe upset somebody or somebody's panicking because you've pressed this thing and you're completely, completely oblivious to the whole thing. Well, of course... I'll be it to say. That happened to me this week, unfortunately. Um, and I was watching, actually, Tim's sermon on our Facebook page, our church's Facebook page. I was listening to Tim. And underneath, a lovely message had been written by Stacey. <laughs> and uh, she had written just to say thank you about um, listening to Tim's sermon and etc. And it was a lovely message. And I accidentally put this face next to her message. <laughs> I was completely oblivious, no idea that I'd done that, just went off. Um, and then I get this frantic message from Stacey saying, I'm so sorry, have I offended you? What have I done? <laughs> and, and I was just beside myself then, because I was like, what have I done? I don't know what I've done. Um, and I had to write back and say, I'm not angry, I'm sorry, I don't know what I've done, I've accidentally pressed it. Ooh. But I didn't know how to take it off. <laughs> so it was left there, so I had to explain myself. If you go on to our Facebook um, church page, you'll see the little conversation that's there. I did eventually realise how to take it off. But anyway, so, lesson learnt. If you ever are on Facebook and get a little angry face from me, please, okay, just ignore it. It's probably me. I've just accidentally pressed something that I wasn't supposed to press. I'm really, really sorry. But there is a lot of ranting and a lot of annoyance and a lot of anger out there, isn't there? And you read it on social media. Some of you might listen to the... Um, Radio Guernsey debates, if any of you read, uh, listen to those and people are ranting on there and then of course if I'm listening to it I start ranting at the radio or you know you're watching something and I start talking to the TV, um, just putting my little pennies worth in. Um, but it's all around us, isn't it? That annoyance, that sort of sudden anger that can be bubbling away. Um, I came across this this week, uh, it was a letter of complaint and, you know, these letters of complaints, they get published on the web and for all to see. And it made me smile and it amused me a little bit. But it's gone global, this letter. And um, it's put down as one of, like, the funniest complaint letters. It was actually written by somebody to Richard Branson, who is, of course, the head guy at Virgin. And um, this person took a flight on the Virgin airline and wasn't very happy with what they experienced on that flight. So they wrote a letter to Richard Branson, and I'm going to read you um, that letter now, just quickly. I've condensed it because it was really, really long. Okay, so dear Mr. Branson, I love the Virgin brand. I really do, which is why I continue to use it despite a series of unfortunate incidents over the last few years. The latest incident takes the biscuit. Ironically, by the end of the flight, I would have gladly paid over a thousand rupees for a single biscuit following the culinary journey of hell I was subjected to at the hands of your cooperation. Look at this, Richard. Just look at it. See image one. I imagine the same questions are racing through your brilliant mind as were racing through mine on that fateful day. What is this? Why have I been given it? What have I done to deserve this? And which one is the starter? Which one is a dessert? Now, you don't get to a position like yours, Richard, with anything less than a generous sprinkling of observational power. So I know you will have sp sp spotted the tomato next to the two yellow shafts of sponge on the left. Yes, 
it's next to the sponge without the green paste. That's got to be the clue, hasn't it? No sane person would serve a dessert with a tomato, would they? Well, answer me this, Richard. What sort of animal would serve a dessert with peas in it? See image two. I know it looks like a bargee, but it's in custard, Richard. Custard. It must be the pudding. Well, you'll be fascinated to hear it wasn't custard. It was sour gel with a clear oil on top. Its only redeeming feature was that it managed to be so alien to my palate that it took away the taste of curry emanating from our miscellaneous central cuboid of beige matter. Perhaps the meal on the left might be the dessert after all. Anyway, this is all irrelevant at the moment. I was raised strictly and neatly by my parents, and if they knew I had started dessert before the main course, a sponge shaft would be the least of my worries. So let's peel back the tin foil on the main dish and see what's on offer. I'll try and explain how this felt. Imagine being a 12-year-old boy, Richard. Now imagine it's Christmas morning, and you're sat there with your final present to open. It's a big one, and you know what it is. It's that Goodman stereo you picked out the catalogue and wrote to Santa about. Only you open the present, and it's not there. It's your hamster, Richard. It's your hamster in the box, and it's not breathing. That's how I felt when I peeled back the foil and saw this. And now, what you're th- I, now I know what you're thinking. You're thinking it's more of that custard. I admit, I thought the same too, but no, it's mustard, Richard, mustard. More mustard than any man could consume in a month. So that was that, Richard. I didn't eat a thing. My only question is, how can you live like this? I can't imagine what dinner around your house is like. It must be like something out of a nature documentary. As I said at the start, I love your brand, I really do. It's just a shame such a simple thing could bring it crashing to its knees and begging for sustenance. Yours sincerely. And it didn't say who it was, sincerely. But we do complain, we do rant, we do get angry, we do get stressed about things, don't we? I'm going to take that off because it's a bit horrible, that picture. (laughs) But we do, don't we, get angry about things. And I think we're fully aware of the danger that anger can be in our hearts. If we let anger take root in our hearts, it can lead to bitterness, it can lead to all sorts of horrid things and bad consequences and to have anger is is a bad thing in our in our lives i remember my parents always used to say to me and my siblings that we weren't allowed to go to bed um in conflict or disagreement or angry it's in ephesians isn't it that verse don't let the sun go down on your anger okay so i think they were trying to bring us up now me and my siblings didn't have much to be angry about you know which whose cindy doll was it or something but still the principle was there And we were taught, you know, don't let anger just stay in you. Do, you know, get rid of it. Don't let it lead you into sin or into bad things. And I think the Bible warns us all the time. You look at James, it says, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. In Proverbs, it says, A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Ecclesiastes tells us, "Um, Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Colossians tells us to put away anger, to put away wrath. Matthew says, I say to you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. The Psalms talk about refraining from anger. So we know that anger is not a good thing. It can, it can take us into the wrong place and it can lead us into the wrong place. And we must deal with it. And there's been times in my life when I know I've been angry and I know that it's, it's going to lead me down the wrong path and it leads me to all sorts of you know, wrong thoughts and judgmental attitudes and it can lead you to sinning and you have to deal with that. So why then 
Do I want to encourage us to get angry this morning? Well, I think you're probably a step ahead of me already. Because there's two different types of anger. In the Greek, there's two different types of anger. There's the one that we've been talking about, the one that gets agitated. The one that gets boiling mad. It means agitated or boiling. It means that anger within us. But there's also the anger that is about passion. An anger about energy. And I wonder whether we need to be more angry in that sense. In, in a passionate way about the right things. A righteous anger. One that will lead us to action. Not to sin, but to action. Maybe if we're honest, we can sometimes spend more time entertaining that first type of anger where we get agitated. And it, you get, we get mad about things. But I want us to think today about getting passionate with a righteous anger. To get angry about the right things. And then to lead us to do something about it. To channel our energy. To be productive with our anger. Because we know there can be righteous anger, yeah? And sometimes, anger is the exact feeling we should feel. You know, it's the right emotion that should be within us. That, that it should stir us to be angry. You only have to put on the TV, don't you? and watch the news or listen to the radio. So many situations, so many things happening in our world that actually we should be angry about. And if I wasn't angry about those things, I'd worry about myself. I'd, I'd worry, I'd, I'd become insensitive to these things. I'd you know, desensitise to the world around me. And there's things that we see all the time, things of injustice that we really should be really angry about. It's a righteous anger. But it's not for it to just stay within us. It's not for us to just go, oh yeah, that makes me really mad and, and I'm really you know, angry about that situation across the other part of the world and then just leave it. But to actually say, I'm going to do something about that. That anger within me about whatever that situation is, I'm going to do something with that. It's going to drive me and it's going to stir me and it's going to take me on to something else. Someone once said to me, if you want to know what cause or what thing that you are passionate about, think about what makes you righteously angry. What is it that gets you? Because maybe that's where your passion lies, for whatever cause it is or for whatever thing it might be. God got angry, didn't he? Yeah? When you read the Old Testament, you do see God getting angry. Why? Why was he angry? Well, he was angry because... He was passionate, and his passion was for justice, and his passion was for people. And God's passion and love for his people, for everybody, for equality, for justice, was so great that when he saw people not doing what they should, he got angry about it. That's why he was angry. He got angry with people's hardness of heart. You know, when you look at the Old Testament scriptures, what, you know, you see the Israelites, you see God's people turn away from God. And they turn away and they start worshipping other idols and they start worshipping other things and, and they start neglecting other people. And in their rejection of God, they reject others. They stop loving people. They stop showing that love. They don't care for the needs of the outcast. They don't care for the needs of the poor or the widow, or whoever it is. And we sometimes can't maybe get that division in society, but back then, you know, society was so divided. You did actually have people that were classed as outcasts in society. And God is saying all the time, I want you to care and look after these people. 
I want you to love these people. And what the Israelites were doing is as they turned their back on God, they were turning their back on others. And people often don't like the God of the Old Testament. You know, outside of the church, when you, when you talk to people, there's often a criticism, isn't there, against Christianity. What I find sometimes when I'm talking to people, there's a criticism that, oh, well, God's always angry. God does all this anger in the Old Testament, and it's, you know, it turns, turns them off Christianity. But actually, we've got to look and say, well, but, yeah, but why was God angry in the Old Testament? Because actually, I think I want to serve a God who was angry at the things he was angry at. Because he was angry about injustice. He was angry at, at the people's continual neglect of others and not laying down their lives for other people and not loving others. That was what caused him to be angry. And I think, you know what, there's a picture there for us. I think it's teaching us something about righteous anger. And Jesus got angry, didn't he? When you look at the New Testament, there's accounts when Jesus physically manifests and shows his anger to the people. What was it that made Jesus angry? Well, I was been looking through the different accounts. I've looked at all the different accounts of, of actually, I mean, Jesus was probably angry at other times, but the ones that we've actually got before us that we can read about. And this is what, in summary, made Jesus angry. Greed, unfruitfulness in our lives, lukewarm living, hypocrisy and superiority, hardness of heart, spiritual pride, judgmentalism, and damage done towards children. Those are the accounts that I read where Jesus got angry. And it's interesting, I think, that those were the things. Maybe they're not the areas we would expect, or maybe we would expect those areas, but we'd expect more, like there would be other things. If I ask people outside of church, outside of Christianity, what makes God angry, what makes Jesus angry, I think a lot of people would, would put a list of immoral behaviours They'd list things that were immoral, behaviours that would make God angry. And actually, the biggest thing that makes Jesus angry is self-righteousness. The idea that, you know, you've got it all together. (laughs) That idea that the Pharisees were always struggling with. And that's what Jesus got really angry about. And we don't have time to look at everything, but I'm going to look at a few scriptures. And the first one is this one in Mark chapter 3. So if you've got your Bibles... Um, You can turn to it, but I've got it on the screen there. And I'm just going to read you verses 1 to 6. Again, he entered the synagogue, Jesus, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. And said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him. How to destroy him. You see, the Pharisees had missed it. They'd missed the point. They were so legalistic about things. You know, the Sabbath was there to be kept as holy. And you weren't allowed to do anything. So they were looking at Jesus, and Jesus wanted to do good on the Sabbath day. He wanted to heal this man. But they were like, no, no work should be done on the Sabbath. But it was Jesus who said that the Sabbath was made for man. It was made for us. We weren't made for the Sabbath day. The Sabbath was created so that we might be able to spend time with God, that we might have a rest. But the Pharisees just didn't get it. 
and they were so legalistic and they became angry towards Jesus. And I wonder sometimes in our own lives, especially when I think about being a Christian for a long time and and how hard is my heart sometimes because I've been on this journey for so long and things become quite normal sometimes and things become the same sometimes and I can just carry on in my Christian life like I always do. And then I look at my heart and I think, is it hard? Have I I become hard in my heart towards other people? How soft is my heart? And Jesus continually pulls the Pharisees up and the scribes on this point of hardness of heart and this idea of self-righteousness, of judgmentalism, of being hypocritical, of feeling superior to other people. In the passage um, in Matthew 23, there's a load of names that Jesus calls the Pharisees. He calls them blind guides. He calls them hypocrites, fools. He calls them whitewashed tombs. He calls them a brood of vipers. That's quite strong that Jesus said those things to these religious people. I mean, can you imagine Jesus coming in and saying those things? But these Pharisees, these scribes, they had, all the, had it all together in terms of doing the religious things, but their heart was so hard that it didn't love other people, it didn't care for other people, and it didn't show justice. And there's a couple in passages in Matthew that I've just picked out. One in Matthew 7, and we know it well. It says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. I can't read that verse without feeling convicted. I find that an incredible verse to read. That how I judge others, I will be judged. The measure I give will be the measure to me. I think that's... I find that a difficult verse. Judge not that you be not judged. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And in Matthew 23 it says, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all the deeds to be seen by others. You see, the scribes and the Pharisees were, they were on particularly bad terms with Jesus during his ministry. They placed all their demands on other people, but they didn't do it themselves. They tie up heavy burdens, they lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them. And I find it fascinating that Jesus directs his strongest words, the accounts of anger, against the religious people of the time because they didn't see themselves as sinners. They saw themselves as better than others. And actually, Jesus showed the most compassion and the most patience and the most love with those caught in immoral behaviour. And sometimes I think it's easy for us to read that and understand it and get it, but then to actually apply it to our own lives and ourselves... Sometimes I wonder how much I do that. But Jesus does highlight that this is the most severe thing. This is the thing he gets angry at, self-righteousness. And I wonder sometimes whether in the ranking of sin, which we know we shouldn't do because sin is sin, but sometimes we do rank it, 
we put the serious sins of immorality up here at the top. And actually self-righteousness, maybe we just overlook a little bit sometimes. But Jesus had most compassion for those who were known, knew they were sinners, caught in immoral behaviour, whatever it was. And he would be angry at the self-righteousness that he saw displayed at the time. You know, there's so many people we look up to, isn't there, I'm sure. And one of the great people that I look up to is a woman called Josephine Butler. You might know her. Born in 1828. She was an amazing woman um, who just did an amazing work. And, And she basically shocked society. Okay, because, well, being a woman and standing up for, for things then was shocking in itself. But she actually spoke up for the unspeakable. And she, she spoke up for um, prostitutes. And she would go into brothels and try and help women and children who were caught up in this. And she stood um, against this. She was, you know, an advocate for these ladies, for these women and for these children. And at the time, it was a, it was a shocking thing in society. Okay, it went kicked against all the social norms, but she did it because it so angered her, the abuse that was happening in these places, so angered her that she felt she just had to do something about it. And she called it a consecrated rebellion. I love that little phrase, that she would stand up against these things, against the social norms. She was moved to do something. And I want to be like that. I want to be moved. I want to be moved by passion. I want to be moved by my anger for the things that I see in this world that I don't think are right, that are, that are unjust. And I want to do something about that. I want, to be, I want my energy to go into those things. I read a quote the other day, and I'm not sure who it's by, but it said, Don't be deceived. The odious complacency of the self-consciously pious is what infuriated our Lord the most. Philip Yancey was right when he said that some Christians get very angry towards other Christians who sin differently than they do. It was self-righteousness that infuriated Jesus. It was the injustice of it, the hypocrisy. The Pharisees were doing the so-called religious stuff, but their heart for the poor, their heart for the needy, their heart for the broken, it wasn't there. Where was their compassion for the outcast? Where was their love for one another? And I want to be a person that is marked out because of my love for other people. What's making us angry today? Is it the same things as what made Jesus angry? Or are we angry about all sorts of things that really we shouldn't necessarily be harbouring anger against? Are we angry for the right things? Are we angry for the plight of the poor, the people in poverty, the world around us? Because sometimes we can get so involved, can't we, in our own situations. When things affect me, I can get get easily angered with it. If it's infuriating me, if it's in my world. But actually, when it's outside of myself, when it's other people, when it's the world around me, am I as angry towards those things? And I think perhaps I want to ask myself, Nick, what are you angry about today? I think we should get angry. And I think it should, we should be stirred for what stirred the heart of God. And it should drive us forward. Not that we sin in our anger, but that we move to action in our anger. Angry at self-righteousness. Angry at a Christianity that does religious stuff, but doesn't love the poor and doesn't reach out and doesn't get moved by injustice. 
Not more anger against immoral behaviours as such, but more angry against injustice of things in the world. Jesus said that we should be known for our love for others. That's what should mark us out, that we should be known by our love for other people. And sometimes the church, worldwide I mean the church, Christianity can be known for all sorts of things. Not always for love, for all sorts of wrong things. Do people see Jesus in us? Well, I guess the answer is yes, if they see the love of Christ. If they see our heartbreaking for people, for situations, for those who are in desperate need. But not if they see us in being self-righteous or judgmental or superior in any way. Pope Francis tweeted this week, I love this, I love that I can follow the Pope on Twitter. Isn't that great? You know, I'm not Catholic, but I'm just saying, I love the fact that you can read Pope Francis' tweets. And he said this, every church member has a responsibility to become holy by taking care of others. And sometimes we can get and think that we have a responsibility to become holy with all sorts of other things, with a list of all sorts of other things, lots of good things. But I love that fact that he said, a responsibility to become holy by taking care of others. I love that. I love it. That that should mark us out. Proverbs reminds us to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, to defend the rights of all those who have nothing. I wonder what's making us angry today. I'm going to close here. I'm going to invite the worship group to come back and um, we'll sing a final song. But I just want us to think today, you know, are we getting angry about all sorts of stuff that really, it isn't that important and it really shouldn't be in our hearts and we really need to deal with that perhaps? And are we letting anger lead us to a place where really we shouldn't be? And if that's the case, then perhaps before God this morning, we need to confront that and say, God, would you help me deal with this? But you know, more importantly today, I want us to think about our own lives as individuals, as a church, and think, what's making us angry? What's driving us with passion and with energy? Is it a heart for others? Or are we a little bit consumed with ourselves at times? I mean, I look out to you guys and I know that you have a heart for others you have a compassion for others and you support one another here and in your families and in your workplaces I hear all the time of stories of you guys doing things for others and reaching out and I love that and that's why I love being a part of this church and I want us to continue with that to be marked out for loving other people for being stirred by those things in the world that are unjust you know sometimes we can get het up about all sorts of behaviours that offend us all sorts of things that come our way and, and actually when I look at the Bible and I look at what angered God and I look at what Jesus got angry about I see something different to my life sometimes. And I want to be angry in the same way that Jesus was angry. A hypocrisy, a self-righteousness, a people not doing what God had asked them to do.
I don't want to be a Pharisee. I want my love to be loud. I want people to see me and be marked out by that. And I don't want self-righteousness to creep in. And I know at times it can. But I think it is time to get angry. It's time to get angry at a Christianity that is about that. To get angry about injustice in the world. To get angry about, you know, things that we see in the news or whatever it is. And start to our passion and our energy being driven into that place. Thanks for listening to this free download from Latchelity Love Church. For more downloads, information, or contact us, please visit our website.